0: Today on Ag News Daily. Three different spheres, both in terms of business planning, estate
1: planning, and succession planning.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Delaney Howell, one of the hosts for the Ag News Daily podcast, joined by my co host Mike Pierce. And Mike, it is not a sunny day out today.
2: It is not, and the temperature has been dropping steadily all day long. It was pleasant this morning when I went outside, and now I kind of need a jacket.
0: I know. It makes me sad. I'm just ready for the springtime. And I think other people are ready for the springtime, ready to get into the fields.
2: Yeah, yeah. Those that can, I think, uh, certainly yeah. are are excited about it. And uh, Delaney, do you have any other flood updates for us today?
0: Well, just a couple of quick things, Mike, I think that we should make mention of. You're planning at this point in time to head over um, tomorrow to an event being held in western Iowa. We've seen former Secretary of Agriculture Bill Northey, who's now, of course, an undersecretary. He's traveling to flood-impacted areas, kind of giving his update on on the flooding and, and where that sits. Um, we're going to see... I think he's with a couple other folks too, but really they're going to try and put together some preliminary damage estimates here for us.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, in the secretary, undersecretary Northy's case, just to get eyes on it, you know, it's great to have, uh, Have folks from D.C. You know, Bill is a a friend of the podcast and just a great guy. I'm glad he's making time to come back, see the farms that were devastated. Today, he was down in Missouri. He met with uh, Blake Hurst, who's the Missouri Farm Bureau president, and Jason Kurtz, who's on the board down there, and uh, Chris Klinklin, who is the deputy director of Missouri Ag. And then he teamed up with Mike Nag, the now Iowa Secretary of Agriculture. And was in Sydney, and tomorrow they will be in Malvern with uh, Senator Grassley, potentially uh, new Congresswoman Axney, and Mike Nag again, and that is at one thirty in the Malvern Community Center for those of you in Western Iowa. Um, I don't doesn't look like you have to RSVP.
0: I think but, we do as media, but I don't think other folks do.
2: Well, right. I, I mean, our listeners, I think you can just show up yes. at the Malvern Community Center at one thirty and. Uh, you know, get your thoughts in with uh, with Bill Nordy.
0: Yep, I think that is right. And I shared a couple of pictures on our Twitter page at Ag News Daily. I'll share them on our Facebook page later this afternoon as well. But these photos still don't do justice for really the effects. I mean, I think I mentioned it the other day on the podcast, I shared a photo of a grain bin that had split open and the smell was just putrid i mean it you you don't even have to step out of the car and you smell it and so we still continue to think of those folks in our thoughts and
2: prayers absolutely absolutely you know it's too bad delaney the internet doesn't have scratch and sniff yet
0: <laughs> maybe someday i bet I, I don't know what that would take One of these days you think so maybe oh
2: yeah i'm sure some nerd somewhere is working on it
0: that's nice well, you
2: know, that's, that's that's who creates these amazing things that we use every day.
0: Yes, not something that's in my wheelhouse.
2: No, no, nor mine, nor mine, Delaney. But we do have an update. We've got some good news for the soybean market today, at least uh, good news for soybean bulls. China stepped back in today, purchased one and a half million tons of soybeans for shipment in July and August. And this is their uh, second major purchase this month. So... Well, you know, beans were up uh, about two cents here at the close of trading. And, you know, I bet that was beneficial.
0: I think uh, anything we can get at this point, we'll take.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. China made this purchase today when yesterday, remember, you talked about uh, Steve Mnuchin heading mm-hmm. to Beijing for these trade talks. And, uh, so today, China made their, you know, their good faith gesture of purchasing some beans. But like you say, anything that gets beans off our shores is a good thing for sure.
0: Absolutely, a good thing indeed. Mike, I have a little bit of an update from a story that you talked about yesterday with Senator Warren, who is, of course, running or running for the 2020 presidential election. A little bit from what was reported in her article in the Des Moines Register, she said her vision for farmers especially is, quote, leveling the playing field for America's family farmers. She also said that she will plan to tackle consolidation in the agriculture and farming sector head on and break the strange hold uh, and break the stranglehold a handful of companies have over the market. She said she vowed to appoint, quote, trust busters to review and reverse anti-competitive mergers to break up large agribusinesses that have become too vertically integrated and to crack down on abusive contract farming in the livestock sector.
2: Interesting that that last part. Um, I, They didn't talk about it all yesterday when uh, the register pro- published their preliminary report. So I'll be interested to get the details on exactly what she's looking at there. I imagine it kind of goes back to the uh, the poultry farming issues that were discussed uh, yeah. last year when they were going to make some amendments to the uh, Oh Packers and Stockyards Act.
0: Yeah, I I don't know for sure. That's just what she was talking about. So or some mm. of the some of the first little tidbits there.
2: Interesting. Well, yeah, I'm glad you were able to follow up on that, Delaney.
0: Yeah. What else do you have for news for today, Mike?
2: Well, I've got uh, perhaps some good news for the broader economy. Uh, The president of the New York Federal Reserve, John Williams, was down in Puerto Rico today for some event. And he said the quote, he is not as worried about recession as Mm. some in the private sector. He said the U.S. economy is in a very good position. Place. And, uh, you know, I would interpret that to mean that he's probably in favor of continuing the slow and steady pace of interest rate hikes. But anything we can do to keep consumer demand strong is important when we've got all of these cattle and hogs coming out of feed yards and finishing barns.
0: Well, that's interesting. You're talking about cattle and hogs because I've got a report today that pork production is expected to edge out beef production in the United States for the first time. In 2028 or by 2028, according to the USDA's long-term projections, they are expected to see 30 billion pounds of pork produced in the United States and about 29.7 billion pounds of beef. They're accounting this to increasing corn prices and lower pork prices in the first half of the decade here. And there are also incentives to decrease farrowing. However, they said with increased slaughter weights and continued commercialization, The pork industry will continue to push ahead of the beef industry. So I thought that was an interesting change of pace we could see here over the next decade.
2: Yeah, it is very interesting. And what will really be intriguing to me, Delaney, is to watch where the hog industry continues to consolidate geographically. Mm -hmm you know Iowa is pretty well saturated Illinois isn't a a super hospitable place for large scale livestock production i think we're going to see hogs continue to move north into south dakota and yeah. north dakota and, and parts of minnesota
0: yeah i'm interested too um because we really haven't seen the consolidation in the cattle industry that we have seen in the pork industry when you look at at growers that are contracted or you look at barns, especially in the pork industry that are owned by X company. We haven't Mm -hmm. really seen that in the cattle industry. And I'm interested to see if we will switch from being independent to a consolidated industry like we have in the pork industry or not.
2: Listeners, I know we've got a lot of you out there that are cattle producers, feedlot operators involved in the beef industry. I've heard from several folks that the vertical integration that you see in poultry and in pork just doesn't quite work with cattle, both because the size of the animals and the breeding and gestation period is long enough that they can't quite justify owning the cow themselves it just Mm. makes more sense to buy calves off the market but listeners uh if you're more well-versed in this give us a shout we'd love to hear your perspective on what you think the future of the beef industry might look like you know 10 years from now geez it'll be 2029 10 years from now delaney
0: i know that's crazy huh
2: almost 2030
0: yep i don't want to talk about it that weirds me out
2: will we have flying cars
0: hmm we we going to take some wagers now
2: yeah, yeah, let's let's lay some odds. Let's uh
0: <laughs> I'm going to say not flying cars. I'm going to say we'll have self-driving cars though.
2: Oh, I think you're probably right about that. I think we're yeah, next 10 years I think that's going to be there. Now, I don't think they'll be able to make a 78 Lincoln drive itself.
0: You don't think so?
2: I don't think so. It's it's tough enough to drive, you know, with a person behind the wheel.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. It'll be a whole new ball game, that's for sure.
2: It absolutely will be. Well, what what other news do you have for us today, Delaney?
0: Well, the only other piece of big news I had for today is looking into the agronomic industry and looking at tools that uh, could potentially be taken away if we continue to see folks misuse them or if we see some of these people outside of agriculture misusing them. We saw California award another man money here because he complained or or filed a lawsuit that Monsanto's Roundup Ready caused him non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, the jury awarded Edwin Hardiman, who is in remission currently right now, about two hundred thousand dollars in medical expenses, five point six million in compensatory damages, and three point six for past pain and suffering, and seventy-five million in punitive damages. So they awarded him about 80 million dollars in this recent trial, so this is the second trial where we've seen Monsanto be held liable for uh, roundup ready.
2: Wow, 75 million in punitive damages. that yeah. is a that's a big number.
0: Yes, that it is.
2: I could spend it.
0: I think you could too.
2: Absolutely. Well, I just have one other piece of news as well. A company by the name of Planalytics issued a report today, and it, it kind of ties in with what we're talking at the top of the podcast, which is flooding. Um, this Planalytics, they made a, a flood outlook for springtime. And what they found, they believe that about 55 percent of U.S. corn acres and 60 percent of soybean acres are at risk of either major or moderate flooding this spring due to the ground saturation, the fullness of the rivers, and, uh, you know, expected precip as we get into spring. So that is not good news for growers who are uh, in those lowlands waiting for their fields to dry out.
0: No, but I don't think I'm surprised by that report.
2: Right, right. Yeah, I I don't think I am either. I I was I oh, actually I'll say I was fairly surprised to see numbers that big. Fifty five percent of all U.S. corn acres and sixty percent of all soybean acres are at risk. That's a that's a big number.
0: Yeah, that is a huge
2: number. Well, and I lied. I do have one more story, Delaney. If you've <laughs> okay. got time for it,
0: absolutely. Lay on us.
2: All right. Well, we've been talking off and on about the ongoing trouble in Venezuela. Venezuela, of course, is a very large crude oil producer, and they recently uh, sentenced the presidential challenger, Galledo, to jail for trying to run for president. So the U.S. has said, hey, we're not a big fan of you, Venezuela, and they have now instructed oil trading houses and refiners around the world to cut their dealings with Venezuela or those companies are going to face sanctions themselves even if the trades are not prohibited by U.S. sanctions. So this is a uh, a big move to try and put additional pressure on uh, Nicolas Maduro down there in Venezuela and uh, get him out of office. But it's got uh, oil traders uh, a little nervous.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can imagine so. And it could add some volatility to the oil markets.
2: Certainly. And we'll certainly see it on the spot market down in the Gulf where that Venezuelan oil, you know, makes its first appearance here in the United States because they've got, you know, the right kind of crude down there to blend with the other stuff. I, I don't understand mm-hmm. cracking oil in general, but I do know Venezuelan oil goes to Houston and the Caribbean and those other places to get refined. So we'll see how this all plays out. I just thought that was an interesting story. The government uh, possibly putting sanctions on companies that are otherwise following the law.
0: Yes, that is interesting, Mike.
2: Well, that's my end of the news today, Delaney, except for, of course, market prices. Should we jump into those? I think we should. All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at The Zaner Group. Remember, you can get in touch with any of their talented market strategists to help you manage your marketing risk by giving them a call. You can reach them at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. We... We regained a little bit of yesterday's losses in the grain markets today. At least there was some green on the screen. May corn contract up a quarter penny at 374 even. The December new crop also up a quarter to close at 398 and a quarter. In soybeans, May was up two cents at 889 and a half. November new crop up half a penny to finish at 923 and three quarters. Chicago wheat saw some bearish news. The May contract dropped a nickel at 464 and a half, with July down four and a half cents at 470 and a half. Looking over at the world of livestock, we've got April live cattle up 27.5 cents at 126.52.50. The June contract up 2.5 cents to close at 119.62.50. In feeder cattle, the April contract up a nickel at 145.95, with May up 15 cents, closed the day at 149.67.50. And weakness today in lean hogs, front month April down $2.45 to close at 78.87.50, with the May limit down $3 lower at $83.67 and a half. Jumping into the dairy market in class 3 milk, the March contract was down a penny at 1507 with the April down 3 cents wrapping the day at 1566. Delaney, why don't you go ahead and introduce to us today's interview?
0: Thanks Mike, I would love to. Well, I think today's conversation can be summed up by succession planning. We're talking to Carrie Rinker who is an ag lawyer. She uh, covers a couple of different territories and states, but really focusing on issues impacting agriculturalists from a law perspective. Well, we're talking a little bit about the ag law field and, and some important issues related to producers as they consider legal ramifications for the future. Talking here with lawyer Carrie Rinker of Rinker Law. Carrie, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today
1: thanks for having me,
0: Carrie. Tell us a little bit about your law practice because you cover quite a few states and kind of cover a gamut of different topics and practices It looks like here from your website.
1: Yeah, so in way of background i 'm a farm girl. I grew up on a beef cattle farm in central Illinois and even have a master 's degree in beef cattle nutrition, so I like to say that I am the only Ruin it. Nutritionist who Went to law school in the country um, and I'm not 100% sure if that's The, the truth or not, but I like <laughs> to say it I like to claim it uh, I have offices both in New York And in uh, Champaign, Illinois I've had my law practice for about 10 years And about 2 years ago For lack of a better word, I, I moved home um, And so I have an office Both in Champaign and actually now In my hometown, uh, which is where I'm Sitting at today in Chevyville, Illinois uh, My tagline is by the food, farm, and family law, so everything sort of relating uh, to those three areas.
2: Well, in farm and family law, Carrie, I mean, one of the huge issues that, of course, has been vexing producers with the rise in farmland prices, now, of course, they've set back a little bit, but planning for the future, more importantly, planning for a legacy. How do we handle this ground? How do we handle these assets? How do we handle farming heirs and non-farming heirs Talk to us a little bit about how you work with growers and families who are going through that planning.
1: I'm glad that you brought that up. I think that it is a critically important issue in agriculture. Uh, you wouldn't believe how many farmers come into my office and uh, with with no estate plan, they're over 60 years of age. Um, And no succession plan really uh, to pass the farm or the ranch to the next generation. So, the way that I look at it is in three different spheres, both in terms of business planning, estate planning, and succession planning. And if you can visualize those as being three different circles and then they all sort of overlap in the middle, uh, and I think that that's important. They're all different, but they all interact with each other. And so my biggest advice for farmers and ranchers to get the, is to get the conversation going um, in one way, shape, or form. And, you know, I'm not immune to this in my own farm family. I mean, I understand and I have sympathy for the fact that these conversations are difficult to have.
0: They are so difficult to have. And, and Carrie, when you look at some of the farm families that you've worked with, is there any benefit to forming an LLC or a corporation? I mean, obviously farms are businesses, but many times families don't often treat them as such because they're just part of the way of life. Is there any benefit to forming an LLC or a partnership in that transitioning process?
1: Yes, I I absolutely agree uh, with forming some type of a business entity. You'd be surprised how many farmers are operating as either a sole proprietor or a general partnership um, either one of those corporate forms allow limited liability and so effectively what that means is that his or her personal assets would be shielded if there was a lawsuit and so only the assets that are in the LLC would be subject to that litigation. Um, A a typical maneuver that I like to um, advise my clients on, and again, there's no one size fits all. So it's really important that farmers speak to their own attorney is to even form two LLCs. So one um, with the land, like a holding company and a second as the operating company that would own like, the farm equipment and uh, the livestock and so on and so forth, and there would probably even, either be a farm lease or a ranch lease between those two entities with the landlord-tenant relationship.
2: Now, Carrie, uh Dylan, you mentioned LLCs. You mentioned, you know, a, a business unit. There's S-Corps, there's C-Corps, there's LLCs. There's a million different ways to do this. What type of considerations come into play when growers are, are, when you're helping growers make that decision? Is it just something we can do with an attorney or should we also have an accountant present?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I always recommend to my clients that they work with a team of professionals and that team Hopefully, includes an attorney um, who understands uh, production agriculture, also an accountant, perhaps a financial advisor, perhaps even an extension specialist or some other um, consultant to help uh, with the succession planning um, aspect of things. As far as LLCs versus corporations and C Corps versus S Corps, yes, there are differences. Among the, the the various choices, and it should be handled carefully, some of the considerations that I look at would be, uh, what's the dynamic of the farm family? Are they wanting, let's say, investors, right? So if there's investors and they're wanting perhaps different classes of, of shares, then you would have to shift more towards a corporation versus an LLC for a smaller operations um, that have, you know, let's say less than 75 members. I usually recommend an LLC because there's less administrative overhead. So in terms of deciding what type of business entity, you have to look at both the, the short-term and the long-term goals of the operation.
0: Kiri, when you look at, Maybe just from a legality standpoint, there have been so many lawsuits, especially in animal agriculture. I mean, you look at North Carolina and you've seen nuisance lawsuits, um, related to hog confinement buildings. As a producer, should I be, is there anything I should be cognizant of as I'm, I guess, moving forward in my farming operation that potentially I could face legal ramifications depending on what I do with my operation?
1: Well, a couple things. First of all, I think that every farmer, depending on what they're doing, has a certain level of risk, um, and that risk can be mitigated through, of course, business entities, but it could also be mitigated through insurance, uh, perhaps uh, general releases. Uh, there's other types of risk management tools that are available, maybe even in terms of contracts. Um, So that's sort of step one. Uh, Step two, I think it's critically important for farmers to have a lawyer that they know that understands their operations and who is staying up on the law and the changes of the law to advise them if and when there is uh, a change in the law that might affect their operation. Just a few weeks ago, I was on vacation with my family and a farmer that I've known for years and years and years, called me about an emergency. But this person is not a client, this person, you know, I haven't had a long term relationship with this person. And if I had, then I would have been able to react or perhaps even prevent that emergency from happening. So that's sort of a step two is to try to develop that relationship. And then step three, um, you know, and I'm not immune to this, is I think that record keeping is so important for multiple areas. You know, I've was working a lot in New York with uh, animal welfare or livestock animal welfare issues in. You know I kept on coming back to the farmers needing to document their feeding records, their vaccination records, when they went to the veterinarian for have body condition scores, so on and so forth. So if there was a challenge that they were not you know, doing things correctly, that they would have those records. So that's just one of many examples where record-keeping can be really helpful as a defense.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So then let me ask you this as a follow-up, Carrie. Do you see more people turning to the legal or the justice system to deal with issues related to maybe nuisance lawsuits or other issues affecting agriculture? I mean, that can a big one too. But do you see more people using lawyers or the court systems to address those issues in agriculture?
1: I do. I feel like our society as a whole, agriculture and non-agriculture, has become more litigious. I am very excited about programs such as um, there's about 42 or so, don't quote me on that number, um, states have agriculture mediation programs that offer free mediation uh, to farmers and also neighbor landowners about any kind of nuisance or right to farm issues. I'm hopeful that as time goes on, that those types of mediation programs can even be expanded to other types of disputes. So I'm a trained mediator myself, and I'm hopeful that over the next 10 years that we'll see a trend shifting more towards alternative dispute resolution
2: as opposed to the court system. Well, now, uh, for those of us who have never been involved in it, what what is mediation? How does it differ from the traditional court system with defendants and plaintiffs and so forth? So a mediator
1: can, but is not always an attorney, and that's important. So there are both attorney mediators and non-attorney mediators. And um, what happens is that the mediator sits with the parties that are involved. You know, if you think about even, like, let's say – Um, a succession and and succession planning dispute. So you want to have multiple generations that are in the same room with the mediator. And um, the mediator is basically there to help facilitate a conversation. They're not acting like a judge. They're not making a decision. That's more of an arbitrator. And so the mediator is just really there to help facilitate the conversation in hopes of reaching an amicable resolution. So some people think that two hours of mediation and everything is resolved, and that does not always work. One time I had a mediation with a farm in a town, literally, and it had six different uh, mediation sessions over a course of six months uh, before they were able to reach a resolution. But we did end up have, uh, getting that resolution. So sometimes some disputes take a little bit of time to work out, but that mediator is just a neutral third party, um, help hopefully helping uh, to get the conversation going.
0: Carrie, we've covered quite a bit of ground here in just our, our short time together, but you have a couple of resources available and maybe if producers or folks listening want to learn more, or have some specific questions, tell us about some of the resources that you offer on your website.
1: So I have a blog. I've been blogging for since the infancy of my law practice about 10 years ago. So there's a wealth of information there. The website is rinkerlaw.com spelled R-I-N-C-K-E-R-L-A-W.com backslash blog. And uh, furthermore, I just started a podcast Uh, with Purdue University. Um, It's called Ag Law Today. And if you go to aglawtodaypodcast.com, you'll see the various links. There's a YouTube channel. It's up on iTunes. And it's also published on Purdue University's website as well. So um, I've been chatting with uh, other professionals on a myriad of legal issues affecting agriculture.
2: Now, with the podcast, Carrie, how often is that going to be uh, published?
1: So it is a bi-weekly podcast, I guess that's fortnightly, so the fortnightly podcast, and we're about 12 episodes in, so it's still a young podcast, um, but I'm excited um, for the future on that one.
2: Fantastic, and a huge thank you to Carrie for being the first person in this podcast's history to use the word fortnight and not refer to a video <laughs> game, so we're very excited about that. <laughs> Uh, listeners, be sure to check that out. Follow along, Carrie. You're also on social media. Where can listeners find you on on uh, Twitter or Facebook?
1: So my handle, I have a, both a law firm and a personal handle. The the law firm handle is at Rinker Law, R I N C K E R L A W dot com, um, and then the personal handle is just my name, at Carrie Ringer, at Rinker, C A R I, R I N C K E R. And I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can even Snapchat me. <laughs>
2: Fantastic. Listeners, be sure to take advantage and pick her brain as needed. She's a great resource for all of us in agriculture. Carrie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today.
0: Thanks for having me again. Well, again, that was Carrie Rinker there. And folks, do check out her blog and podcast if you've got questions or, you know, need some help, especially with succession planning, that's not an easy thing to tackle for any family.
2: No, not at all. A lot of hard discussions, a lot of hard decisions come into play when you are planning the future of your farm or ranch. And Delaney, we try to bring some information to bear for folks who are looking at making hard decisions about agronomic. About mm-hmm. Economics, about technology, and all that sort of stuff. By our interviews here on the podcast, if listeners have missed one or two episodes, where could they go to hear them again?
0: Absolutely. Well, we are first and foremost on all podcast platforms: iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, etc. You can also listen to them anytime. Maybe if you're at work and want to catch up on a few episodes, head to globalagnetwork.com/slash/agnewsdaily. You can check out not only our great podcast, but you can also check out the great podcasts that we have as part of the Global Ag Network. Mike, with that, should we let the people go?
2: Let's let them go.